So we're starting a new series today that I gave a little teaser uh, about last week, and some of you are real curious about it. And anybody curious about what we're going to talk about today? All right, number of you. Um, great. Now, um, this series that we're going to start is actually something that sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. It is powerful. And it's something that we love to hear about. So I have this anticipation in this series that most of you will lean into this. Most of you will enjoy hearing it. We actually love to sing about this. We actually have a song that we sing and we may not know all the verses in the song, but when we get to those verses that we do know, we sing with passion and we sing out loud and we love and it's probably the song that we sing as a church family, the loudest here as well as across the United States and the world. Um, yet, even though we love it, even though we love to hear about it, even though we love to sing about it, we struggle with this reality that we're going to talk about today. We struggle to understand it, and we struggle to share it with other people. So for those of you who are curious about what we're going to talk about, just take a moment and talk to the person next to you and tell them what you think we're going to talk about. So take a moment and do that. Okay, I didn't say take a long time to talk about it, I just said take a moment. Okay, so here we go. Um, I am going to make you wait a little longer. Okay, so um, what, what's going to happen today is we're going to dive into our Bible story in John chapter 8, and then the subject that we're going to talk about is going to come to us. We're going to let it reveal itself, okay? So um, the way we're going to get into John chapter 8 is a little bit different than, than maybe you know, we typically do or maybe the way that you read your Bible. I'm going to try to tell the first part of, of our story today in a way that pulls us in as some of the main people in the story. And there are several ways to read the Bible. One way is to read it as an observer. And so we just read it as an outside observer. We read the story and go, okay, that's interesting. God, what do you want me to understand about that story? Another way to read the Bible is to place ourselves in the story and to say, okay, God, what if I were this person in the story? Or what if I were that person in the story? What would I feel? What would I think? What would I observe? What would be going on for me as I was in this story? So I'm gonna try to do that today. I'm gonna try to pull us in. And guys, I have to warn you, the, the main person that we're gonna be today is a woman, okay? So I'm sorry, guys. I'm not asking to be a woman at church. I'm just saying that it's an illustration, okay, to help pull us into the story. Okay, so John chapter eight, if you wanna turn over there, uh, we'll get there in just a second. So I want you to imagine with me, you're laying in bed this morning, and then all of a sudden your door slams open, 10 men rush in, rip off your covers, pull you up out of bed, start yelling and screaming at you, sinner, you're about to die for this. Before you can figure out what's going on, uh, whether this is a bad dream or really happening, they drag you outside, you're blinded by the morning light, and then you're taken down one street to another street to another street, and then you realize where they're taking you. They're taking you to the last place you wanna go, especially this morning because of what you did last night. See, you were caught. You were caught in that sin, that familiar sin. I don't know what your sin is, but that thing that you hope no one would know about everyone's about to know about this thing. And these men 
who are taking you to where you don't want to go, go from 10 men to 20 men to 30 men, the group gets larger. And they're taking you to the temple. In our day, we would call that the church. And they take you to the temple. There's a large crowd of people. So let's just imagine it's happening here this morning, okay? So imagine we're here in a teaching context and through the side door comes these 20, 30 men dragging this person who's been caught in sin and brings them right up front and asks the teacher to render the verdict. And in that culture, what you've been caught doing brings the death penalty. You're most likely about to die. Everybody still with me? That's John chapter eight. Let's read that together. John chapter eight uh, starts a little different than the way that I started it, but that's kind of the story happening behind the story. Verse one says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? So again, we are that woman. What would you be thinking? Just imagine this woman standing. Again, we're going to kind of put ourselves there, kind of maybe put it in this context. So that woman is standing here, standing maybe down on the front of the stage. And and what would you be doing? Would you be looking around at everybody? I wouldn't be. I would probably feel intense amounts of shame, intense amounts of guilt, condemnation, trembling and fear. With all these accusers saying, she should be stoned to death. Jesus, what do you say? And so she stands, we stand, shaking, trembling, looking down, can't look anywhere else. And then in verse six, Jesus does the strangest thing. Verse six says, Jesus stoops down and he starts writing in the dust. What would you think if you were this woman? So here you are looking down, and then all of a sudden, your judge, Jesus, comes into view. The only person you can see is Jesus stooping down. Now, I have multiple thoughts running through my mind of what I'd be thinking in that moment. One thought is, I'm so grateful that all eyes are not on me anymore. Where would everybody's eyes be? On Jesus. So I don't know if that's one of the reasons why Jesus stooped down to write in the dust, but he did. And I think the reality would be all eyes would be on Jesus and they're, they're, everybody's looking at him, not looking at her anymore. I think another thought that possibly she would have, I think a thought that I would have is, Jesus, why are you playing in the dirt? Like, I need you right now to defend me. I don't need you to play in the dirt. What are you doing? Please stand so at least I can hide behind you or something. So Jesus is writing in the dirt. And then verse seven says, they kept demanding that he give an answer. So Jesus stood up and he said this in verse seven. He said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. 
Now, what's Jesus writing in the dust? I'm not sure. Um, the Bible doesn't tell us, and um, Bible scholars uh, have different speculations, but we're not really sure what Jesus wrote in the dust. Some people suggest that maybe he was writing the sins of her accusers. He was writing out their sins so they could see their own sins right in front of her. Um, there are some Bible scholars who have suggested that maybe Jesus was writing out the names of the men who were the accusers who had visited this woman because she was a prostitute. Can we say awkward? Like that probably would have been awkward for him to write that out. What did Jesus write? Not exactly sure. There are a lot of speculations about what he wrote, but whatever it was that he wrote, and whatever it was that he said, what he said in that moment, okay, if you've uh, sinned, uh, whoever hasn't sinned can throw the first stone. The combination of those two things led to verse nine. So verse nine says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Can you imagine how powerful of a moment that would have been for that woman and everyone standing there and for us if, if we were there in that spot? Powerful moment. And then in verse 10, it says this. Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? I think that's a, another powerful question that Jesus asked, and I think he's asking it today. So how would you answer that question? Where are your accusers? Where, where would you point to if you think about maybe people who have accused you in your life? Would you point to a family member who, who thinks like, like, you're never gonna get life right. You're such a failure. You keep messing up again and again. Would you point to someone else in, in your life who, who thinks that you're just a constant failure in life? Would you point to those voices uh, in your head that communicate on a regular basis that you're just not good enough, that you'll never be good enough because you fail God, you fail people, you fail constantly? Where are your accusers? I don't know where yours live, but mine live in my head. And I hear them on a periodic basis in my life. There are moments they're louder than others. And here's what I hear on somewhat of a consistent basis. When they start speaking to me or in those moments where I actually listen to them, they say, you're not good enough. You're not a good enough father. You're not a good enough husband. You're not a good enough Christ follower. You're not a good enough pastor. You're not a good enough leader. And those voices say, do you remember last week when you responded harshly to your wife? Like, that's not what you should do. And then they accuse me. And they say, you remember like 10 years ago when you did that thing that was like, did not honor God at all? Yeah, you remember that thing? Wanted to remind you just in case you forgot about it. And then sometimes they say, do you remember that thing you did 25 years ago that you were so ashamed that you did? You remember that thing? Don't ever forget that because you'll never get away from that. Those are some of the things that I hear that happen in my own life, but where are your accusers? The Bible tells us that our accusers come from one place. And you may say, well, I've got like 10 of them, but it all comes from one place. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, 
describes our uh, accuser. He has a name. His name is Satan. And I don't know what your thoughts are on Satan, whether you feel like he's just a Halloween character or if you realize he's a real being, but the Bible teaches that Satan is a real being. He started as the angel of light known as Lucifer, and he was not happy with the position that God had given him. He was not happy with the power that God had given him. He wanted more, and so he fought God to get more, and he got a name change from Lucifer to Satan, which means adversary, and he was also called the accuser. And Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says that he accuses us before God every day, day and night. He stands before God accusing us, looking at us and saying, do you see what they did? Do you see what they did? Do you remember what they did 25 years ago? Do you remember what they did last week? They are constant failures. They are always letting you down. And so he accuses us every day and every night. And then 2,000 years ago, God did the strangest thing. He stooped down. He stooped from heaven to earth to pull all of the attention of the universe onto him and off of us. He picked up my sin. He picked up your sin. He placed that on his shoulders. Again, he stooped from heaven to earth. He stooped from earth to the cross, and he stooped from the cross to the grave. Why? for you and for me so that we could have eternal life. And then Jesus stood after that and he declared something that's captured in Romans chapter eight, verse one, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It says this, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If you're a Christ follower, there is no condemnation for you. None, period. Put an exclamation point behind that. There is no condemnation. Where are your accusers? Who cares? Who cares? Because your advocate has done something for you. And because of that, listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 34. It says, it says this. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Now get the context. We've got an accuser standing before God, accusing us. And we have our advocate pleading on our behalf. Who do you think God the Father is going to listen to? The accuser that turned away from him? because he didn't like his position or his only begotten son who did everything that God the Father asked him to do and who is pleading for us. I think God will only listen to our advocate and he will not listen to our accuser. So what about you? Will you listen to what the accuser says about you or will you believe what the advocate has done for you? How will you answer that question this morning? 
Now, it wouldn't surprise me at all if when Jesus knelt down to write in the dust, if he wrote just one word. Total speculation on my part. I have nothing to back this up. I'm not even trying to make it a biblical point. I'm just saying it wouldn't surprise me if the one word that Jesus wrote was grace. And I don't know, maybe he wrote amazing grace. It wouldn't surprise me if that word came from his fingers, grace, because that's what happened in that moment. God poured out grace. And here's what grace is. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's the unearned favor of God. It's something that we cannot earn. We can't be good enough to get it. We can only receive it. God, Jesus, was the one who was perfect. He lived that perfect life because we couldn't. And so he extends to us grace, this amazing gift called grace. Now, even though we love grace, we love to hear it, we love to sing it. We sang it a little bit this morning. We'll sing it again throughout this series. We love grace, but we struggle with grace on several levels. On one level, there are those of us who struggle and say, I'm not good enough to receive God's grace. I've been too bad. Like, I've done too many wrong things. Like, like if you only knew my story, you would know that, that I can't be a recipient of grace. I hope today's Bible story proves you wrong. I hope you understand that to the core of your being, that that thought is wrong. God's grace is made available to anyone. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far from God you think you've been. Grace is extended to you and to me. There's another spectrum, uh, people on the other end of the continuum who wrestle with grace, and I've been in this part of the wrestling with grace. I've actually been in both parts of it. There's another group of people that see grace and say, you know what grace means? It means I can live any way I want. I can do anything I want because of God's grace. And if you think that, that's not a proper understanding of grace. You don't grasp grace that way. You don't get it. And so uh, listen to what Jesus said back in John chapter 8. So John chapter 8 again, Jesus said to the woman, verse 10, Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Verse 11, no, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So Jesus didn't say, oh, it's okay. You can go live any way you want. My grace is just gonna be poured out again. Doesn't matter. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. I have a really hard time believing that that woman got up from that interaction and left going, I can do anything I want. I now have grace. I can go right back out and do the exact same thing. I don't think she did that. And I don't think we would do that in that context either if we, if we were there, if we understood how that story unfolded and we were one of the main people in that story. Here's what I think she did and here's what I think we should do. I think she lived her life in response to grace. Was she perfect after that moment? Absolutely not. None of us are perfect. We'll never be perfect. But I think she took that opportunity and said, I wanna live my life in response to the grace that I have been given. And I think that's the charge for all of us. Grace has been extended. 
And Jesus says, now go and sin no more. Live your life in response to the grace that you have been given. Now, how do you struggle with grace? Like, like what is your specific struggle with grace? If some of us are honest, I think some of us might say, you know what, I've been cheapening God's grace because I've been living in a way that says, "Ah, I can do whatever I want. God will just forgive me. God will just give me grace. It's what God does. It's amazing. I'm going to sing it on Sunday. It's great. But then Monday, I'm going to go out and do whatever. If you've been in that spot, I think God is, is saying something to you like, will you recognize that you aren't understanding grace in that moment? And will you humble yourself and will you repent and say, God, I've been wrong. Like I'm not seeing grace the way that I should see grace. So is there anything in your life, if you're in that spot, if maybe you've been cheapening grace, is there anything you're involved in, anything you're doing that you need to stop doing? And will you stop doing that? Does that mean you'll be perfect? Doesn't mean that. But will you like draw your sword and do serious battle with even your own self so that you can understand the grace that God has extended to you? We should never cheapen God's grace. Maybe your struggle with grace is that you think it's just not for you. Maybe you've been listening to your accuser for far too long and your accuser's been so loud and you've just heard him over and over again. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. You'll never be able to receive that. God will never extend grace to you. Maybe you've been listening to that for far too long and Jesus says again to you, where are your accusers? Where are they? And he offers this thing called no condemnation. He says, There can be no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And so I want to ask, do you belong to Christ Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in him as your Lord and Savior? If you have, there's no condemnation for you. Does that mean you can run out and live any way you want? No, it doesn't. It means you can live your life in response to grace. But there might be some people here today who've never received God's grace. And so what I want to do as we wrap up today is I want to give you the opportunity to receive God's grace for the very first time in your life. And the way that we do that is through a decision that we make in our mind, we live out with our lives. And that decision is based upon what Jesus has done for us. Again, it's about saying, I'm not listening to my accuser anymore. I'm listening to my advocate and what he has done for me. Jesus died so that you could have eternal life. Have you received that? That's called grace. And so I'm gonna pray and uh, close us out in a a prayer. And if you have never received grace for the first time in your life and you would like to today, then I'm going to guide you in how to do that through this prayer. So all you have to do is kind of just listen to me as I'm praying and then respond accordingly if that is applicable to you. So let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, so grateful for grace. Lord, even as I'm I've been spending time studying for this series and reflecting on grace. Lord, I'm so grateful for it, and yet at the same time, I know I don't fully grasp it. I know I don't fully understand it. I I know there's moments I don't live in response to your grace. And so, God, I, I pray for all of us as a church family that through this series, you would help us to see grace the way you see grace, and that we would live our lives in response to that 
amazing grace, that amazing gift that you've given us. And Lord, I know that there may be some people here today who've been cheapening grace. And if they're honest, maybe they'd say, you know, that's me. So Lord, I pray for those folks. I pray that that they would do this thing that, that Scripture says, they would repent and say, God, I've been wrong. Forgive me. I want to embrace your grace and live from that. So Lord, those who are wrestling with that, I pray that you would help them understand your grace and to live from it. And God, there may be some folks here today have never received your grace in their lives. And so if that's you, if you've never responded to God's gift of grace and you'd like to do so today, here's what I encourage you to pray. Just just pray this prayer silently in your heart to God. It goes something like this, and it's nothing about the words. It's about the sincerity of our hearts as we pray this. God, I am a sinner in need of your grace. And I believe Jesus died to give me that grace. And so today, I receive it for the first time, and I ask you to come into my life, into my heart, and be my personal Lord and Savior. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray this. Amen. Aren't you so grateful that God makes beautiful things out of us? So grateful for God's amazing grace. So if you've responded to grace for the first time today, what I encourage you to do is three things. Number one, come down and tell me that. I'll be right down here. I'd love to meet you if you're new to our church or if you've responded to grace for the very first time. Second thing I encourage you to do is come back next week and invite a friend with you because grace gets better. And then I encourage you to sign up for our next baptism. Chris told you this morning, we have a baptism next week at the ocean. We'd love to baptize you in response to the decision that you have made today. So uh, thanks for being here today, everybody, as we begin this series on grace. And I hope that you have an amazing grace week. Have a great week. See you, everybody.